You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Have you ever noticed how well yoga and massage go together? The first time I took a class that incorporated both yoga and self-massage using little rubber balls, I was blown away by how much deep touch enhances my range of motion, my proprioception, and my ability to be present in the moment. Hello, yoga teacher. This week, I'm delighted to have my dear friend and frequent podcast guest, Libby Hinesley, back for a special episode about yoga and self-massage, one of my favorite combinations. Libby is a physical therapist, a yoga therapist, and an anatomy guide for yoga teachers. She also happens to be one of my closest friends, an incredible yoga teacher in her own right, and an all-around lovely human being. If you've been curious about how to incorporate self-massage into your yoga classes, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. And if you've never heard of such a thing, then you're in for a treat. This might just be the perfect introduction. Let's jump right into the conversation, and I will see you on the other side with a little story about my childhood and my childhood dreams and how I'm making them a reality in the here and now. Okay, are you ready to talk about self-massage with yoga? I am so excited to talk about self-massage with yoga. Nice. Well, let's start with how you initially heard about it or found out about this magical combination. Sure. So I have had uh, a lot of muscle tension in my body for a very long time. And I used to use two tennis balls and a sock and I would just roll up and down my spine. This is many, many years ago. And I would just always have that, you know, little sock full of a couple tennis balls handy and I liked that, but that's about the extent of it. And so over time, as therapy balls became more and more popular, I started using them more clinically. And I would keep tennis balls at the clinic when I would treat uh, physical therapy patients. I would keep hand balls and racket balls because they were a little bit softer. And I would just kind of start to incorporate that into how I approached people's tension patterns and my own. So my own use of them over time just grew and grew. And honestly, I learned a lot about it from you when you got into yoga tune-up. I think that was actually pretty influential for me too. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So did you learn any self-massage techniques in PT school? I did not. Not that I remember. So this is all just... And over the past 10 years of learning and studying on my own and just experimenting with my walking laboratory, which is my body. Yeah. So I, as you mentioned, found out about them through Yoga Tuna. Mm -hmm. And this was also about 10-ish years ago. And I was really into CrossFit. Mm -hmm. So I was doing CrossFit two to four days a week. And through CrossFit, I was exposed to Kelly Starrett, who had the mobility wad and he's friends with Jill Miller. And so then I was introduced to Jill Miller and I was researching her and I learned that she was doing a level one teacher training at a location that was only like 10 minutes from one of my best friend's houses in Los Angeles. And I was like, oh my gosh, nothing is 10 minutes from anything else in Los Angeles. 
I, I have to jump on this opportunity. And my friend was actually out of town at the time. And so I stayed in her place by myself, which ended up being a good thing because the teacher training was really intense and had like homework. It was like 10 days, full on all day, and then homework when you got home. And so that was my major introduction. And it was pretty mind blowing that level one teacher training was incredible. The way that she was able to show us how using this, these self-massage techniques would create immediate changes in our physiology and our experience of being in our body and our ability to sense ourselves, to proprioceptive. Um, so I was like pretty gung-ho from, <laughs> from that moment. You know, I remember this trip you took to LA and doing, you doing this teacher training and how much it was mind-blowing for you. And I bet that's around the same time I kind of latched on to that too and started using those same the same brand of balls. And I was also doing CrossFit a little bit at the time, not quite as much as you were, but I was being exposed to the use of self-massage a little bit through that whole world too. Yeah. Yeah. And this was a time where my relationship to asana was really changing Mm -hmm. because I was getting such intense workouts at CrossFit that my yoga it actually was kind of a full circle for me because I first got into yoga, I had already been doing martial arts. And so yoga felt really soothing and like the, the yin to the, you know, proverbial yang of the martial arts. And then I, when I started teaching, I let go of the martial arts. And so yoga became everything. And I had that mentality of like, oh, yoga can be my work in and my work out. Mm -hmm. It can be my spiritual life and my physical life. Right. And so as we've talked about before, that often leads to injury because Mm -hmm. if you're using yoga as a workout, and especially if you're not being really thoughtful about it and introducing other types of movement in addition to just the yoga, it can lead to compensation patterns. It can lead to, it's just really likely to lead to leaning into what you're already good at, which is not necessarily what you need to focus on, right? It's so interesting. It's like, we know that some movement is better than no movement, but once you start getting really into movement, then there's a responsibility to become educated about it and to give yourself the right doses of the right types of movement. That's right. So anyway, CrossFit was a positive step for me in that direction of doing something that was not, did not come naturally to me, was difficult for me. And it made yoga, turned yoga back into that kind of soothing, nurturing space that I had initially attracted me to it in the first place. And so the, the massage really fit in with that. At that point, when I did my yoga practice, I did not want to sweat. I did not want to work hard. I just wanted to roll around on the ground and like, <laughs> you know, what, what our first teacher or our common teacher uh, used to call the lay low and glow yoga. Do you remember that term? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what I want to do in my practice all the time. And I do. Yeah. Lay low and glow. So what do you think are the benefits to incorporating self-massage with a yoga practice? I think there are so many. Um, So some of the big ones that come up are just learning about your body. These 
therapy balls can be such like holding up a magnifying glass to yourself and studying your body. It's totally self-study. And what you're able to discover are these hidden tension patterns that you may not have even been aware of before, right? When you kind of explore a whole area of the body, you might, might be like, wow, I had no idea I was holding so much tension in that spot because the reality of the body is that it works as one big unit. And so when we have symptoms in one spot, we usually just like hammer away at that spot and we treat that spot over and over. But sometimes it's kind of like talking about snags and runs. Like when people used to wear pantyhose, you'd get a snag and then you get the run and um, the body's the same way. Sometimes there's a snag somewhere, some restriction, but it's not talking to you very much, but sort of the ramifications downstream or upstream are. So that's where you're focusing, but you've missed the snag. So you never really address the whole pattern. And the therapy balls are such a brilliant way to expose those patterns. But beyond that, um, I think some of the biggest benefits have to do with um, examining and transforming our relationship with sensation. Because when you introduce therapy balls and self-massage, you're introducing sensation. And for a lot of people, it's very intense and they are put in the face of their response to that intensity. What are their stories about it? What are their feelings about it? How does their nervous system respond to it? And because we can trust that it's safe, we can talk about sort of some of the precautions and when it may not be safe, but in general, pressing on your muscles is a safe thing, but it produces intensity. So it's like a great opportunity to be with safety and be with intensity and have those be together and kind of hold those in a little dialectic and, uh, and change the relationship with sensation, which I think is really important. Um, as a collective, we tend to be, I think, sensation averse um, and, and afraid of intensity <clears throat> unless we're sensation junkies. Absolutely. It really holds up a magnifying glass to your own tendencies that you already have, which is something that I think yoga is interested in is, is the self-examination. And what I'll say as somebody who's had experience teaching and incorporating massage balls, some people love it mm -hmm. and some people like absolutely cannot stand it and will like leave class. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you want to start bringing self-massage into your classes, that first of all, I would make sure that you really know and have a strong relationship with your students. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, that you make it really clear that this is part of the class, that you have it as part of the class description, maybe even yeah. part of the class title so that people can opt in or out. Yes, I totally agree. The one thing you don't want to do is put people into a fight or flight mode because they came expecting one thing and now you're introducing something completely different that's outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. And again, you can do that if you have a strong trusting relationship and they really trust you already. Mm -hmm. But if there's any, you know, if you get random people dropping into your class, it's so important to first create that, that container of trust. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I actually brought some therapy balls into a regular yoga class once um, that was a back care yoga class that I've been teaching for years. And one day I thought, Hey, I'll just bring these therapy balls and we'll do a little bit of rolling you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes as part of the class. And it did not go well because the students weren't expecting that. And that's not what they wanted at that class. 
And, you know, a couple of them probably enjoyed it, but for the most part, it was a flop. So that inspired me to just, you know, a little bit down the road, offer a class that was explicitly about self-massage. And that was the title of the class so that people knew they're coming to work with the therapy balls. And that was much, much better. So yeah, I think that's really important. And I would be the same way. If I show up to a yoga class, I don't want to roll on balls. I want a yoga class. I want to do asana because I roll on balls about every day at home. And I love that, but it would kind of trip me up a little bit because it's not what I would expect. I think for me, now that I have been introduced to the concept, if they were being used really thoughtfully, I would have no problem with it. I think that the two things would be one, if I hadn't been introduced to it and this was something new and I hadn't had a chance to wrap my brain around it. I mean, we go to yoga generally to activate our parasympathetic nervous system. And so that requires this sense of safety. It requires a sense of consistency. Mm -hmm. And so that would be one thing. And then the other thing would be if it felt like they were being kind of used randomly, like that they didn't really have a purpose in the sequence. They didn't really have a a role to play in me having this experience with my own body, but they were just kind of slapped on there that that would probably not work so well for me either. Yeah. makes sense. One of the things you mentioned there is the importance of safety. And I would just want to emphasize that because like I was talking about before, oftentimes when we feel sensation in the body, there can be a response like, Oh, is this safe? This is a little scary. This is intense. And, you know, to be able to, as a teacher, really um, hold space for people's reactions to the intensity and, you know, work with it a little bit and offer some techniques to turn down the intensity. There are always techniques to turn it down. There are usually techniques to turn it up. And I always tell students, you are 100% in charge of all the sensations that you feel in this class. I'm here to help you turn it down, turn it up, whatever you need. But the key is that people feel safe because what we're really working with is the nervous system. It's not that we're just going in there for a wrestling match with muscle tension. We're going in for a conversation with the body and specifically a conversation with the nervous system. So maybe this would be a good moment to talk about, are there concerns for safety? What might be the risks involved with self-massage? Yeah, certainly there can be some risks. The main sort of negative side effects that most people might encounter would be muscle soreness, the same way that you might have some soreness after a deep tissue massage, because ultimately that's what you're giving yourself on the therapy balls. Uh, Some people get bruising. So if people are on, say, blood thinners, they bruise easily, they have thinner skin. So this could be a concern with aging, skin integrity. Those are some things we want to think about. And in those cases, it's Not to say we can't use therapy balls, but we might use them at the wall. We might use a softer type of ball, things like that. Um, In the case of severe osteoporosis, I just want to be just mindful about placement of the balls. And, you know, I always recommend you just stay on squishy, muscly stuff. And that is generally safe. Um, And that's what feels good. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's not going to feel good to put this on a bony prominence. Um, The other thing is if you're doing abdominal massage with, say, the big balls that are designed for the abdomen, then we want to be sure there's no pregnancy or any chance of pregnancy. And then we want to always ask about uh, uh, aortic aneurysm. If someone has a known 
aortic aneurysm in their abdomen, uh, then they need to not be on the ball. And a lot of times people don't know that, but sometimes they do. In fact, I had a guy in my class a couple of years ago and I was doing the ab abdominal massage. And I said, FYI, if you know you have an aortic aneurysm, please skip this part. And this guy started in and he was about five minutes in and then he remembered, oh yeah, I actually do have that. I was like, I'm so glad you remembered, <laughs> right? But so those are the main things that come to my mind. What are some that I'm missing? Well, I have two follow-up questions. Mm, okay. One is, can you describe for the listeners what an aortic aneurysm is? Mm -hmm. And then I'll ask the other one. Okay. Yeah. So an aortic aneurysm is a weakness in the vessel wall of the aorta, which is the main big branch of artery coming off the heart. And um, once it once the blood comes out of your left ventricle of the heart and it goes up into the aortic arch, and then it, part of the aorta is a descending aorta that goes down through your abdomen. And so it's just under a lot of pressure because it's carrying a lot of blood. And if it has a weakness in it, that's the aneurysm. That's what an aneurysm is. And so that part of the vessel will kind of balloon out and it's, it's a weaker part. So you would not want to put pressure on that. You wouldn't want to do anything that increases intra-abdominal pressure in that case, because the risk is that it ruptures and that's incredibly emergent and serious. And then my other question is around early stage pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Is that truly a risk or is that one of those situations where it's like you're pregnant? So we're going to say, be careful about everything because better safe than sorry. I'd say probably the latter. I don't know uh, specifically what the risk is. It's something that I just wouldn't encourage just as a better safe than sorry kind of approach. But I've never seen any like research on it or anything like that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, when they're so tiny, mm -hmm. then it's hard for me to imagine causing damage with a soft, pliable object. Yeah. I mean, how, how is that different than doing a twist, right? We don't yeah. tell women in their first trimester that they can't twist. We say, do whatever's comfortable for you. Mm -hmm. Babies are very safe in there. And when they're not safe, it's usually very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I mean, I would agree the, um, the whole first trimester being when most miscarriages are going to occur, if they're going to occur is why there's just precaution around a bunch of different things, not because there's a likelihood that that thing will actually cause pregnancy loss, but because if it's correlated with it, then there's a question, well, did that cause it? Ah, that was a new thing. You know, so in general, I usually stay in the camp of if it's a new thing and it's early in pregnancy, better safe than sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that there's not any room to uh, draw any conclusions that may not be actually supported by reality, but that may, you know, we want reasons for things that when they go wrong. Yeah. I like to have this conversation though, because I think that a lot of people, when they get pregnant, at first, they get all of these messages of caution and safety mm -hmm. from all around them. Mm -hmm. If they are already prone towards anxiety, that can really make it worse. So I think it's important to really lay out the information and the data and say, I'm not going to recommend that you do this. I'm going to recommend that you err on the side of caution, but yeah. I want to be clear that this is way erring on the side of caution. And it's not because I actually believe it's dangerous. Yeah, totally. I agree. 
And when in doubt, you know, if there's ever like a medical um, risk question, it's it's not for the yoga teacher to weigh in on. You know, it's always just default to go ask your medical provider, what do they think about it? You know, and but I agree, there's way too much anxiety and medicalization around pregnancy in general. And that, that seems not to be helpful because there isn't anything more resilient than a pregnant body. Yeah. So back to the questions about other contraindications or cautions, I would say, obviously, if you have an injury or an open wound, mm-hmm. there's yeah. no benefit in touching, right? You need to give your wounds and your injuries a chance to heal. Yeah. And this is also a chance for yoga teachers, practitioners, anyone doing the self-massage to, like you were saying earlier, refine their relationship to their own body and the signals of their own body and learn to differentiate between intensity and pain. I think that's a big one. And if there's pain, you know, we're not, we know from pain science that just because there's pain, that doesn't necessarily mean that there is injury, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it is a signal from your nervous system. It is, it is information to pay attention to and not something to go into, not something to generate more of <laughs> It's something to say, Oh, wow. Okay. There's a signal back off and, ch- and check in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I always tell students. Um, you know, if, you meet with intensity that you can't relax into that you can't, you know, use your breath as a tool to just kind of melt into, then that is a sign it's too much for your system today. So let's turn it down, go to the wall, right? There's no shame in going to the wall and doing these techniques to turn down the sensation because we don't want to get into a wrestling match with the nervous system. The question is what can your system tolerate and what can it accept as safe? And that's what, that's the line we have to find, but invariably in a class on the therapy balls, there'll be a student grimacing and grunting and they'll pop and see, is this supposed to hurt? That's always a question that will come up. Is this supposed to hurt? And what I'll say is, well, I would expect it to be interesting. I would certainly expect you to be feeling some sensation here because you are pressing on some muscle tissue that might be tense. Myofascial tissue might be restricted, may not have been pressed on for a while and depending on the sensitivity of your system and kind of how you feel about sensation, this is going to bring up all kinds of stuff. But what I'm interested in is tell me more about it because I don't know what you mean. If you just say this hurts, I don't know what that means. A lot of times people just translate sensation that they're not sure about as pain, right? So if someone says this hurts or there's pain, I want to know more information before I just say, Oh gosh, okay, stop, stop. Right. I want to hear what's the quality of it. Does it change? Um, over time, tell me about it. Let's let's really get curious about the qualities of this sensation so that we um, develop a new relationship with it. Right, versus those moments where it's like, ow, there is a certain type of pain that you know for sure, I'm not going there. That is not beneficial, that is not helpful. It's really, like you were saying, where the person is like, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. That's the place where there's, a lot of information available. Right. If it just plain hurts, then just don't do it. Yeah. I mean, you just keep giving the power back to the students and say, Hey, you're in charge here. You're in charge. You're in charge. You're in charge. If you don't like it, change it. 
go to the wall. Let's get to a place where the sensation um, is able to be accepted by your, your system as safe. And then you can like really work with it. And then it can change something about your physiology. It can change something about the quality of the tissues can really make profound changes, but not when your system is fighting against it because it feels unsafe. That is counterproductive. Yeah, I agree. So the other thing would be, you already mentioned not using or being cautious in the abdomen during pregnancy. And I would say probably being cautious in the abdomen all the time is a good idea. And so to be really specific, when we're talking about abdominal massage, that we're not talking about a hard, hard ball, like not even a latex ball, not even a tennis ball, but that we're talking about an air-filled latex ball that is very squishy. Very squishy. And that when you put it in your abdomen, you can remove air until the point that it's comfortable because people, a lot of people do carry a ton of tension in their abdomen. Yeah. And so it might be quite uncomfortable and exactly like what you were saying earlier, you want to get to the point where the level of discomfort is something that eases over time that it doesn't get more intense and that you're able to find some sense of curiosity about it, that it's not so crazy that you're all you can think of is like, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? That's right. If it's overwhelming in that way, it's not going to be helpful. It's just too much for your, system to kind of mitigate, you know, and manage in that moment. So you just have to turn it down, but absolutely the abdominal massage is not to be done unless it's a very squishy ball. I mean, I once did abdominal massage on a medicine ball at CrossFit all those years ago, and I sprained a rib pretty badly. Eight weeks. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I, I thought I had broken a rib. I mean, I heard a snap. I thought, oh boy, I've really done it. And I was brand new to abdominal massage. I don't think I'd ever done it before because that sort of was later for me. And it's, it's quite intense for me too. So um, don't do that. Learn from my mistake. <clears throat> Use a very soft ball and because uh, it's intense in there. Yeah. A lot of people do hold tons of tension in the abdomen. But if you can find a way to investigate that area, I have seen that specifically make the most change for people that I've worked with privately, especially, you know, whatever their issue is in their body, it's so helpful to address breathing dysfunction and just kind of the whole, you know, when you address stuff in the center of the body, it tends to have a ripple effect out to the periphery of the body. Just. Yeah. And especially the psoas is in there. Yeah, totally. Although for me, I find that the best way to reach the psoas is through the QL, the quadratus lumborum. Yeah. More from the side using yeah. a bigger, firmer ball, not, not into the abdomen, but right into the side of the waist because the psoas and the QL are, are besties. They're besties. And so they're right, <laughs> they're right up against each other. And I, I agree. I like that too, just to get on the edge of the QL and you're also on the edge of the psoas right there. And, you know, whatever influence you put into that whole fascial system right there will absolutely uh, spider web to, to everywhere, but certainly the psoas is getting big influence through that. And if there's a lot of abdominal muscle tension, it's hard to get through that to get all the way, you know, direct influence on the psoas from the abdomen. Although it's, it's certainly a great technique and it's one that I show people a lot when there's psoas dysfunction. Yeah. 
Well, there's certainly a lot of tissue to get through from the back as well <laughs> with all yeah. that fascia back there, but that's why I like coming in from the side as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing I'll say too about the, all the fascia in the lower back is that a bunch of research shows people with chronic low back pain have lumbar fascia that is up to 30% less extensible than those without chronic low back pain, meaning that the layers of tissue in the lower back, all that thick chunk of lots of fascia and muscles in there, the layers don't slide and glide over each other as well. And that's one of the features of chronic low back pain. And so, you know, movement's great, stretching's great, but wow, you get the therapy balls in there and that can be a really profound and effective way to address that. It's like if we think of having this toolbox, mm -hmm. then it's another tool in the toolbox and some people are going to respond really well to movement and that's going to be what they need. And for other people, it's not until they learn how to, to create deep pressure that they realize, oh, wow, that's what my body was missing. That's the stimulus. That's the vitamin that my body was really missing. Yeah. And that's, that was the case for me in my own experience of my body. It's been a serious game changer. Me too. I mean, it was, it was really profound for me for many of the same reasons that you said about the getting to know my body, having that other experience of it's like internal, but external at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then this ability to release tension that is much more effective than stretching. You know, I, I respond really well to strengthening. I respond really well to weightlifting and, and body weight movements, but that combined with this deep pressure massage, I've always loved deep pressure massage and like to be able to give that to myself is, <laughs> is really awesome and special. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It is a much more effective approach at addressing myofascial tension for a lot of people versus stretching. And the population I would expect that to be even more the case for is hypermobile people. They are covered up with myofascial tension big time and stretching doesn't often get at it. It kind of makes it worse for a lot of people and the self massage is, is huge. And we already know that there is a higher proportion of those hypermobile people in the yoga teacher population. Absolutely. You can deal with tension without stretching to end range. It's like a win-win. So good. So let's talk a little bit about sequencing and how we might incorporate this into a class or a workshop. I mean, obviously one option is to just do a class that's all self-massage and that's great. Mm -hmm. I think it works really well in a yoga studio setting. It works really well in any kind of gym setting. Um, but what if we're combining yoga and self-massage? What do you like? How do you like that combination to go? I could make a case for it to go in either direction. I like rolling on the balls first and then say choosing an area of the body to explore with the therapy balls. And if using it first, I feel like it can almost serve as like a wake up call to the body. It's a facilitation of those muscles. They're connected to your brain a little bit more strongly. And so then after you've been on the balls, you go to use the muscles, they're awake, right? And they've already sort of been primed. They've got some more blood flow. So I, I like using the balls first and then moving into some movement and stretching of the same, you know, area to explore. Um, but at the same time, I could see using the balls at the end of class, almost as a tool to um, 
notice the effects of practice and to sort of transition and really work with the nervous system towards relaxation. You could do both. You could do yeah. beginning and end. Be a sandwich. I also think that if you're working with a population that tends to be less mobile, that doing the massage first really helps them to access some mm -hmm. yoga postures and practices that feel for that population feel like really uh, hard and, and like they're not successful at it. It helps them feel more successful. Um, the other thing that I like is using the massage balls as a learning tool. Mm -hmm. So this would be either a class that's a little bit of a more workshop format, a class where you, you know, not like a vinyasa flow class where you just start a sequence and keep going the whole way through, but a class that are, where they're stopping and starting and demonstration. And then especially in a workshop, it could work really well. So that you would just intersperse the rolling at several points throughout the workshop to illustrate a specific point. Like, okay, here we're gonna learn about the rhomboids. So let's feel our rhomboids and now you really know where they are and now let's practice using them. Oh yeah, as an anatomy learning tool, it is brilliant because it turns anatomy lessons immediately into an embodied experience, especially with muscular anatomy or you know, myofascial anatomy is Here's a muscle, we're used to looking at it outside the body on a picture, on a screen or in a book, and suddenly it just gets turned inside and you get to feel it and feel right where it is, feel it contract, you know, and it's, it's really great. I love using it that way. Then there are certain techniques, certain specific techniques that are very down-regulating with the self-massage. And I do like to use those at the end of class. And what I'll say from the perspective of somebody who's taught this, incorporating it into classes. Again, based on what your students' expectations are, they're gonna to tend to be a lot more open to trying something new at the end of class than in the beginning. You started the class in a way that they were familiar, that they were expecting, and then you built and developed that trust throughout the class. And then at the end, they're already more open, they're already more relaxed. And now you're like, now we're gonna try something new and this is gonna help you relax more deeply. You kind of put it into context. And then like, if you're just starting to incorporate these in, that's where I would put them first. Yeah, that's a good idea. The one thing I would say is because yoga teachers tend already to not quite save enough time at the end of practice, you know, at the end of class or whatever relaxation stuff is gonna happen to just err on the side of take more time because what I found when I started teaching this stuff in a yoga class is that, wow, it takes a long time to figure out where to put the balls. You have to go around and help all your students figure out placement. Placement's kind of the hardest part for a lot of people and make little adjustments and figure out what props are needed to get comfortable there. So it will take longer than you might realize. True. Very yeah. true. Yeah. So if you're teaching a class with a group that you already know really well and they're expecting the balls, then I do think starting is really good because moving your body cold is okay when that's all you can do. But moving your body after massage is just much nicer. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What do you think would be the best way for them to get started? Do you think that people need training to incorporate self-massage into their yoga classes, specific training? I mean, I got specific training. You didn't, but you had this PT background. 
So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. I think it depends on the teacher probably. And what is the prior experience with massage and with the body and with anatomy and how confident are they with knowing where, where are we in the body? We really do need to know where we are in the body. So that does take some foundation in anatomy. Um, so some teachers may need some more training. Do you need like a year of more training? No, but some guidance, it, it will be very helpful um, so in a lot of self-study, a lot of experimenting. I mean, definitely get in there in your own body, use some resources, play along with the videos or whatever, with the book, try all the techniques so that you really know what you're bringing into class. Um, in general, I don't think you need a certification to roll on balls, you know, but I think there's excellent training out there available and it's not going to hurt you to have it. So whatever you need to feel confident is what I would say. I agree. So I think especially if you are already a massage therapist yeah. and you're okay, so maybe you're not used to doing self-massage, but you're really familiar with what it takes to affect different areas of the body then you could probably just do some self-study with a book and some massage balls and translate that, that knowledge. Yeah, totally. Because the other thing that some training and some real practice uh, will yield is an awareness of all these different techniques to do on the ball. You don't just, well, you can, you can just get on the balls and like relax, right? That's great. Sustained compression. That's a lovely technique. There's all these other techniques you can do. And someone like a massage therapist is already going to be familiar with different techniques like cross friction and contract relax and all these different things that can be so lovely. Yeah. And I would also say that even a massage therapist, if you don't learn well from reading, mm -hmm. then you might want to take a, a course if you yeah. learn better from in-person or video or however it is that, that you know that you learn best. And if you're a yoga teacher who's not confident in anatomy, then you probably do want to take definitely some anatomy and probably also a specific technique training in self-massage. Yeah, yeah. But you don't need that in order to practice by yourself. That's right. You definitely don't. You're a walking laboratory and it is, you know, unless there's some sort of special case, it is safe to put pressure on your muscles. That's a safe thing. And your connective tissue, and then even indirectly your bones, as long as it is within that realm of intensity that, that is manageable. Yeah. And um, one thing I want to mention is that I've just used a lot of different types of balls. I mentioned at the beginning of our talk, handballs, racquetballs, tennis balls. There are a lot of fancy and well-marketed self-massage therapy balls out there and there are a lot of brands and I've used a couple of the brands. I have a favorite brand definitely, but they're all useful. And I would just say it doesn't have to be a fancy therapy ball. You can really get a lot of good work done with what you have on hand, what's affordable, what's accessible, and that some people are going to need a, a softer ball. So to also, I like to have on hand a bag full of just air-filled, softer, squishier balls for those people who just don't like the pressure of a harder ball. And there's not, it's not a character flaw. There's no judgment to be made there. You know, I always try to make that really clear. We're having a conversation with the body and there's so many tools we can use. Yeah. So the balls that I think you and I both prefer 
are these latex balls. They're a little bit smaller than a lacrosse ball and they're a lot softer. So they're latex all the way through and they start out relatively firm, but they soften up over time. So then you can keep a couple of sets around at different stages of softness. Mm -hmm. And a little tip when you first get, and they cost about $15 a set and they come in like a mesh tote so you can use them together or separately. Mm -hmm. But if you use them on your feet when they're brand new and you put your body weight on them and you, it's great to roll out your feet. It's a really fun, it's actually a fun game because you can release tension in your hamstrings just by rolling out your feet. So you can do like a test retest where you check kind of, you do a forward fold or whatever your favorite hamstring stretch is. And you can feel like, okay, this is how far I'm getting here. And then without any stretching, you just roll out your feet and then try it again. And your mind will be blown. It's really fun. But doing that will also start to prime your balls up and make them a little softer. Yeah, yeah. I do love the types where you can have two together and use them apart. That's way more versatile than the ones that are already stuck together. We don't like those as much. Although I, you know, try out different balls and see what, what you like. Yeah. And this, this type that we're talking about, they, they cost about $15 a pair. So for most people, it's really pretty financially accessible, especially if you think about the fact that you, with this tool, are able to give yourself a massage that would cost 60 to $200 (laughs) to have somebody else give you. You can do it yourself. And it's not the same because you do have to orient your body in different ways and, and be a little bit more proactive. It's not like this fully relaxed, passive situation. But if you want more massage in your life and you don't have that in the budget, it's really awesome. It's really awesome. It's so empowering. You can literally treat yourself every day if you want to and, you know, take control of your condition, basically. It's really, I love it because it is active and it's empowering versus passive. You know, and if I think like clinically about treatment for people active approaches are always, always going to be better. They're always going to be more um, effective in the long run to turn things around. So I love it. Same. And it's still nice to go get a massage from a human. That's, you can't replace that, but yeah. Totally. If anybody wants to buy me a massage, I'm here for it. Totally open to that, but you probably aren't (laughs) going to be (laughs) better. Well, is there anything else that you want to say about combining yoga and self-massage or anything you want to repeat or emphasize? Mm, I guess I would emphasize, you know, if you approach this work with the therapy balls, um, you can approach it from a couple different perspectives. You can approach it from this perspective of, I have muscle tension. I'm going to get in there and just muscle it out. And I'm going to get into a wrestling match with my body. Then you're not going to have as much benefit as if you just approach the body like as a friend with curiosity and ready for a dialogue and say, hey, I'm gonna use this tool to learn about you body and to be loving and curious. And that's when real big changes can happen. So I would recommend the latter and and really see see this as working with the nervous system 
as much, if not more than working with muscles, because those mm. things are linked part of the same thing. Yeah. And for anyone listening who is interested in getting more anatomy knowledge, I know you have a really awesome way for yoga teachers to learn anatomy. You want to talk about that a little bit? I do. And so I have a monthly membership program called Anatomy Bites, uh, which is for yoga teachers who want a fun and embodied, very relevant way to learn anatomy over time. So you can go to anatomybites.com to learn all about it and join the email list to be notified next time the doors open for new members, which usually happens a few times per year at this point. And it's been really super fun to do that. And I will use therapy balls very frequently in that monthly content that comes out every month. There's one kind of area of the body we're looking at and there'll be lectures, there'll be asana practices and oftentimes a therapy ball sequence to explore and learn more about that and integrate that material. So there's that. And then I also have some standalone trainings on, um, therapy balls for anatomy education, just standalone couple hour workshops that you can also find out about at anatomybites.com in the learn tab on the learn page, you'll find out it's called anatomy bliss because it's such a blissful way to learn anatomy. So there's one already there on upper body and soon there'll be one on lower body. Love it. Possibly a third one too. Yeah. So all kinds of good stuff. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this chat with me about one of our favorite fun practices. I hope it was helpful and I hope that some of our listeners go and go on to become Anatomy Bites members. I hope so too. And just like uh, get so excited and curious about this amazing body or walking around in it all the time. Yeah. So anyway, I hope, hope listeners found this helpful and inspiring. And as always, it's lovely to be here with you. Thanks for having me. As a child, one of the ways that my parents took care of me was with frequent but short back and foot massages. So that kind of deep touch is inextricably connected to feeling safe and warm and nurtured for me. I didn't have a professional massage though until I was a teenager and that blew my mind too. An entire hour or more of deep touch and deep relaxation. So I always imagined that if I ever got rich, the first thing I would do would be to hire a personal massage therapist to give me a massage every single day, preferably before I even got up in the morning. Now, I grew up with very few financial resources. We were definitely poor, and so I didn't have a lot of extras growing up. And that pattern followed me into my early adulthood also when I got pregnant at the age of 23 and ended up becoming a single mom and for some reason decided to make teaching yoga my career. But somewhere along the way, I decided not to follow the cultural pattern of dreaming for the future and focusing on the lack in my present. Instead, I learned the trick of finding ways to live out my dreams in the present moment. Now, for the price of two small rubber balls, I give myself that daily massage I dreamed of as a teenager. I do still dream about the future sometimes, but most of the time, I try to live in the present moment and I try to ask myself, how can I make this moment the best it can be? And honestly, I think a lot of that came from losing my mom about nine years ago and recognizing that not one moment has been promised to us. Not one moment is guaranteed. 
that thinking and focusing on the future too much robs us of the present. And I do feel some regret for not having spent more time with my mom, not appreciating her more when she was here. But I also am so grateful for the lessons that that experience gave me about squeezing every drop of joy and life available to me right now. So I'd love to extend this invitation to you. What can you do to make your life feel indulgent right now? The benefit of simple indulgences is that that word indulge, we can only feel it, we can only experience it when we feel safe. So a sense of indulgence can help to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And indulgence does not have to cost a lot or even any money. Taking time can be an indulgence. A walk in the middle of the day, a nap when you need it, a long hug from a close friend. So consider this a virtual hug from me. Thank you for listening all the way through to the end. And thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.